Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. In the world around us today, we head to Malawi and our guest is Dr. Steve Shara, who is educationalist and education and public policy analyst based in Malawi. He's got some really interesting thoughts on how we as a society and societies need to use education in addressing some of social ills. He joins us now on the line. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Shara, for joining us and good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Tamara. Thank you for having me. And, and congratulations on a successful election. And uh, how's the mood in Malawi this afternoon? Uh, so it's the uh, Monday, first Monday after last week, which was very hectic. Hmm. And I've seen a few people posting on uh, uh, Facebook and Twitter and saying ah, it's day one uh, of a new era. Because um, I think with uh, the elections last week and then just where we ceremony yesterday, Sunday, Today, we have gone back and we are now counting uh, from day one. Uh, it's a new beginning. It feels like a new uh, lease of life. Hmm. You, you've been advocating for a long time for reform in education. What kind of reforms have you been advocating for? I have uh, been advocating for education reforms that... Uh, look at the uh, identity of uh, African people uh, based on, I guess, the history of the world where we have been coming from and uh, the image we have had uh, over the decades and even maybe the centuries. So um, that identity that we have uh, inherited that informed based on that history has given us problems and uh, has robbed us of uh, the potential of uh, our uh, lives and our individuals, especially young people. So I have been advocating for an education that is based on uh, fulfilling the human potential of uh, every human being. And to do this, you need to dig into uh, the identity of who people are, their culture and their traditions, and also their aspirations, because we know that culture and identity and also tradition are dynamic. They don't stay stagnant. They move on with times. And so uh, we need an education that captures that and then uh, expresses the desires of uh, the people. How would you suggest that that is incorporated in the current education system that we see? So um, there is content out there that has been generated by uh, African scholars and African researchers. And um, uh, this is content that's based on what in Malawi we call Ubuntu. Uh, in South Africa and also globally is known as Ubuntu. Yes. Uh, but the similarity is the same because it's coming from uh, the, our identity as uh, African people, from especially sub-Saharan Africa, and we have uh, had this term and two peoples because of the similarities in our cultures and in our languages and in our societies. And so um, this is uh, a philosophy that has ruled our uh, history uh, before our encounter with uh, uh, with the Western world and with our colonization and with uh, uh, the, the, the 
globalization that we have today. Yes. So, uh, and in South Africa, you have uh, this saying uh, that translates something like a person is a person through other people. Yes. And here in Malawi, we express it uh, in terms of a prophet, and uh, the prophet that most people use is, uh, so I'll put it in Chichewa and then give a translation. So in Chichewa, uh, which is the national language here, it's Karigoka Ukanyama. So literally, it translates as that when uh, you are by yourself as an individual, you are really not a human being. You are just like an animal out in the bush. But when there are other people there, then you become a human being. And the implication here is that uh, you define your identity uh, only if there are other people there. So it's other people that define you as a human being, that constitute you as a human being. On your own, you cannot claim to be human. It's because of the presence of other people that now you become human. And so the philosophical implication there is that you owe the next person to you, your humanity. They are the ones that make you a human being, and therefore you owe your, uh, your respect to them dignity to them because they define who you are and so when you base uh, life uh, on that uh, philosophy it can generate uh, you know, a different world much different than what we live in today where uh, as individuals we think we are everything and therefore we have to uh, fight for resources struggle for whatever is available so that I benefit me uh, me and my family should benefit and everyone else should suffer. And that's the kind of world we have today and we have lost uh, the Ubuntu or the Ubuntu that we used to have. In, in practical terms, Tashara, I mean, I get, I get the, pol- the, the, the concept. In practical terms, when you translate that in the education sector, how would, how would one do that? You, you've said, obviously, that there was, there'd be literature that one adopts in, in the education system. And, and what else? And, and how would you translate all of that in, in the education sector? So um, in the education sector, it needs to be approached in a holistic way because uh, the education sector is made up of various parts. You start with the children who come to school, then you've got the teachers who teach the children, then you've got the community in which the school is, and then you've got the governance structures, uh, leadership and government and all of that. So all of that needs to be part of that. Uh, and so. Um, you need to have this in public policy. You need a public policy that's driven by Ubuntu uh, or Ubuntu philosophy. And so um, it cuts across uh, the society. It's in the governance, it's in the day-to-day life, and it's also in the classroom. So in the classroom, uh, what teachers can do is to approach content from a perspective of the knowledge that you are using. Uh, and it doesn't matter what the content is. You can do this in mathematics. You can do this in history. You can do this in literature. You can do this even in science. But the starting point is to ask uh, in that knowledge that you are using, what are the social uh, extensions? What, how does this knowledge help my society? How does this knowledge help us build a better community? 
world. And so um, you can take any content, uh, including in mathematics, and mm-hmm. you can apply a social context because mm-hmm. on its own, content is just that. It's dry content. Mm-hmm. You can be doing mathematics and adding uh, maybe do multiplication or formula and so on and so forth. But mm-hmm. it's when you put it in a social context and you realize it plays a role in human life. And those roles are not neutral. They might appear to be neutral, mm-hmm. but they are based on uh, human relationships and they are based on societal values and so on and so forth. And so uh, when you start from that perspective, you begin looking at how certain communities and certain groups are disadvantaged, mm-hmm. how other groups are advantaged and privileged, and uh, the knowledge plays a part in building that kind of society. Mm-hmm. So we uh, want knowledge that uh, gives learners the consciousness of those differences and then use that same content, that school knowledge, to um, uh, to uncover the underlying structures that create these differences and these uh, these structures. Mm. I, I really like that. So it means in in a situation where, for instance, a university or institution of learning is in a community, while they are studying whatever it is that they're studying, they also need to involve the community in applying whatever it is that they're studying outside and involving the community in trying to, to I suppose, assess and understand whatever material it is that they're studying. Absolutely. Um, generally, because we have inherited much of the education system that we use on the continent, uh, and a huge part of it is because of the languages that we use, yes. uh, we tend to think that knowledge is created elsewhere. You know, knowledge is created, especially in the West. And so, uh, what we, on our part, we want to learn that knowledge. But when we bring it home and we start looking at our own societies, we bring indigenous perspectives, we realize that we have also created knowledge mm. and they are there. Uh, we have got science in day-to-day lives, even in rural areas, even in places where they, are, they haven't been penetrated by Western education. There are knowledge systems working in that area. And the people, they have got aspirations. They would like that knowledge to matter in their lives. They would like that knowledge to be up-to-date. And so we are not ruling out um, bringing influences from elsewhere. We are learning things. We always learn from each other uh, in the community and also globally. And different parts of the world you learn from other parts. This has been yeah. the rule, I think, from the beginning of time. But currently, it appears as if only certain knowledges are worth pursuing, sure. and including in the school curriculum, other knowledges are not worth including. And so we end up with this uh, big I mean, you're speaking to a lot of people here because we here, even on this platform, a lot of listeners would say, you know, in as much as there there are vaccine tests and so on, and people are talking about what um, sophisticated scientific uh, medicines are there for COVID-19, nobody integrates our indigenous knowledge systems to what it is that's proposed. And that's exactly what you're talking to, to say, at what point do we start merging what is local knowledge and indigenous knowledge to, I suppose, new scientific methods and, and making sure that communities work together in this knowledge creation? Absolutely, yes. And uh, you bring up a very pivotal example there to talk about the uh, COVID-19 situation. Um, Much of what we are using as um, knowledge to fight 
the pandemic, this is not that we have learned from history, because there have been pandemics before. Yes. Uh, but I think the literature around those pandemics is mostly coming from the West. Mm. And also because of the way the pandemic started from China, and then it went to Europe, and then Latin America, and it seems to now be uh, coming here, and the cases seem to be rising on the continent. We have been forced to use knowledge that's um, been developed around cases uh, in, in Europe. Now, uh, that's important, uh, and it's good. It's not bad to say, because um, they are doing their research, they are based on their context. But we have to be mindful that sometimes um, the context can differ, especially because of our, our social structures and, and cultures and so on. So there have been people uh, suggesting that uh, let's be careful when we are adopting solutions. For example, the lockdowns. Uh, lockdowns are able to, they can be effective in other places, and they have been effective in other places. But coming to Africa, how do you uh, have a lockdown, especially in the rural parts where uh, you don't have the same scenarios of people crowding and people using uh, mass transport and things like those. Although we do have urban parts of the continent and they are populated and they are quite similar to structures, urban structures in the West. And therefore, you know, they can be applicable. But we should also be mindful of the context in which that knowledge can be applicable. And so this goes for our own research. We need our scientists and our researchers to be looking at our own context and look at our numbers here, look at our context here, look at our science here, look at the people who have been sick here on the continent. What are the traits? Uh, what are the symptoms? Uh, what are the processes? And then we create a knowledge that's context-specific and it's relevant to our needs. Dr. Steve Shara, thank you so much for that. We'll look you up and uh, people, I'm sure, will like to hear more of what you have to say. Uh, thank you very, very much. He's an educationist and education and public policy analyst based in Malawi, just proposing new ideas in which Africa can adopt education to better our societies.